0: we welcome you to the Tabernacle Podcast, brought to you by the Tabernacle Baptist Church in Hickory, North Carolina. If you'd like to learn more about Tabernacle, you can visit our website, tabernaclebaptistchurch.com. You can find other sermons like this one on Apple Podcast, YouTube, and Sermon Audio. It is our prayer that God has used this message to be an encouragement to your heart. Luke chapter 15, I'm excited to share a thought with you that the Lord has put in my heart. Um, My prayer tonight is that God would use it to be a blessing in your life as it has been a blessing in my life as well. Let me say thank you to Pastor once more for allowing us to be here tonight and to minister in music and in the word as well. We'll be looking at Luke chapter 15 beginning in verse number one when you get there. The Bible begins in verse number one. Then drew near unto him all the publicans and sinners for to hear him. And the Pharisees and scribes murmured, saying, This man receiveth sinners and eateth with them. And he spake this parable unto them, saying, What man of you, having an hundred sheep, if he lose one of them, doth not leave the ninety and nine in the wilderness, and go after that which is lost until he find it? Verse number 5 of Luke chapter 15. And when he hath found it, he layeth it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he cometh home, he calleth to gather his friends and his neighbors, saying unto them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. I say unto you that likewise joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that repenteth, more than over ninety and nine just persons which need no repentance. Would you pray with me as we ask the Lord's blessing on the preaching of his word. Father, we thank you so much for the opportunity to be in your house tonight. Oh God, I thank you so much for the songs that have been sung and more importantly the truths that they carry with them. Thank you for saving our souls. Thank you for being a faithful God. Father, thank you for your word that you've given us here tonight. I pray that you'd use the truths of this message for the next few moments in our lives. Oh God, I need your power, I need your help. I may speak to the ear, but I pray that you would speak to the heart. Oh God, I pray that you'd help us to see Jesus a little bit bigger tonight. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen. As I begin this evening, I'm going to need your help with something. Here in my hand, I have a $20 bill. It's a, it's a pretty crisp $20 bill. Uh, if I was to offer each one of you this, tw- this $20 bill, uh, most of you would probably gladly take it, wouldn't you? All of you would? Okay, great. I know I would, personally. Uh, let me ask you something. If I was to take this $20 bill and I was to, to crumble it up a little bit, uh, actually a lot, crumble it up like this, uh, would all of you would say you'd still want this $20 bill? Okay, great. Uh, say I was to take you here, and I was just to stomp on it a little bit with my foot. I uh, may get a little dirt on it, possibly. Uh, would all of you say that you would still want the $20 bill? Yeah. You would, okay. Uh, what if I was just to press on it here and uh, to bind it up into all different types of angles until uh, it's, it's pretty rough looking now. All of you would say that you still want the $20 bill, right? Uh, why is that? Uh, because the value of the bill is not based upon what's been done to it. The value of the bill is not based upon where it's been. The value of the dollar bill is based upon an inherent value given to it by its creator. This evening as we look into God's word, we're going to be looking at the value of one's soul. The value of each individual. And we're going to see that the value of a person is not based upon where they've been. It's not based upon what they've done. It's not based upon what they look like. But it's based upon an inherent value given to it by God the creator. We're going to see this truth in this portion of Scripture through the life of Jesus Christ and a parable that he gives. If you'll notice first with me, we see the value of one in the company that surrounded Christ. Who were these individuals that were spending time with Jesus. Notice here the Bible says, "...then drew near unto him all the publicans and sinners for to hear him." It's so interesting as Christ went about that he was constantly seeking to influence others. I find it even more interesting, those who came to be influenced by him. Who are these publicans? Uh, Many of you would know a publican is an individual who was a tax collector in biblical times. They were hated individuals. Now, why was a publican hated? A publican was hated, number one, because nobody likes to pay taxes. Uh, Number two, they were hated because they were working for the Roman government. And as an individual that's Jewish working for the Roman government, many of the Jewish individuals felt betrayed that their own countrymen was coming to them and taking money. There was another reason they were hated, despised, because they were often dishonest. How were they dishonest? Let me give you an example here. As a tax collector, maybe they were responsible to collect a 12% of a person's income. And so they would go around and they would seek to collect this 12%. Now, an honest tax collector would maybe take 12.1 or 12.5%, right? But a dishonest tax collector, which most of them were, would go about, and they would take 15 16 17%, and there was nothing that the people could do about it. And so they were despised, they were hated, they were seen as being some of the lowest of lowest in society at that day, and specifically by the Jews. The second group of people we see here that were drawn to Christ are the sinners. Notice the Bible says publicans and sinners. These were people that were once likely involved with Judaism. They had followed the ways of the law, they knew the ways of God, but at some point they had left that way. And they had went the way of the world. They were indulging their flesh into sins. These would be your prostitutes, your drunkards, the dregs of society, those who would be looked down upon as being the dirtiest, the lowliest. And so they were spending time around Christ. Here they were. These were individuals that were just discounted and considered lesser, but they were drawn to Christ. I find it interesting that these people that were looked down upon, that, that nobody wanted to be around, wanted to be around this great individual, Jesus Christ. The third group of people that we see here in our text, verse number two, are the Pharisees and scribes. These were the religious elite. And we see here the, the accusation that's given. Notice the Bible says, the Pharisees and scribes murmured, saying, this man receiveth sinners and eateth with them. We see here that they murmured based upon the fact that Christ was spending time with these lowly individuals. Now, they were always trying to find something wrong with Christ, weren't they? Uh, You know anybody like that? They're always trying to find something wrong, always looking for for some reason to accuse somebody of something else. Uh, That's the way these individuals were, these Pharisees. And they were accusing Christ of several things here. They have this problem with publicans and sinners being around Christ for a few reasons. Uh, Number one, they wanted to find fault with him. But number two, uh, they thought if Jesus Christ is spending time with sinners, if sinners are drawn to him, then there must be some type of sin within Jesus Christ. Uh, Number two, another reason, they had added much to the law. And so their minds, they had developed this system of religious elitism that's not in the law, but they had added to it, to where they thought that they were higher, and if, if you as an individual spent time with somebody in the low class of people, then you yourself would also become part of that low class of people as well. Now, was this biblical? It wasn't. It was extra biblical. Uh, they had added to the law. Could I say today, we've got to be real careful of those who add to Scripture, who add to the law in their pride. That's what they were doing here. And so we find this accusation is given. Notice this here. This man receiveth sinners. They accused Jesus of spending time with tax collectors and drunkards and the dregs of society and ministering to and influencing those that didn't have it all together. And you would agree this evening that Jesus Christ was guilty as charged. He did receive sinners. He did spend time with those individuals that were broken, that were messed up. The accusation given here, spoken with such power, spoken with such might. But could I say today, these are words that have such power in our lives as well, that Jesus Christ received sinners. I don't know about you this evening. I sure am thankful that Jesus Christ received this sinner, aren't you? That he looked past our faults, he looked past our failures, and he saw a soul that needed what he had. We see here the accusation given, Christ receiveth sinners. These people were broken, but Christ received them. Why? Because every soul matters to God. These people were looked down upon, but Christ received them. Why? Because every soul matters to God. These people were hurting. Uh, They were hurting from the inside out, but the Son of God, Jesus Christ, received them. Why? Because Jesus saw their soul and said, you matter. Oh, what a joy to know that the Christ that we know receives sinners. Why? Because every soul holds great value in his heart and in his eyes. We've seen the company that Christ kept, but secondly here I want you to see in this parable the concern for the sheep. Now what is a parable? A parable is a a heavenly truth given through a earthly story. And so here Jesus emphasizes this point that every soul matters, every individual matters through a story about a shepherd and his sheep. Notice the Bible says, verse number four, he asks this question, what man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he lose one of them, doth not leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness and go after that which is lost until he find it? You can look right here. It's commonly thought among historians that a flock of sheep was about a hundred sheep. Uh, and so here the story is given. One sheep has went lost out of the one A hundred. Ninety-nine are still in the flock. A Ninety-nine are still in a place of safety. Ninety-nine are still under the protection of the shepherd. Ninety-nine are still in green pastures. But there's one problem. One has went away. And although ninety-nine of the sheep are still in a good place and in a good care, that shepherd will not be satisfied. Why? Because that one sheep has left the care of the shepherd. He's destitute. He's gone. He's utterly defenseless and helpless because he's not with his defender. And so what does the shepherd do in this story? The Bible says here it shows us that he will go out. Uh, He will search, and he will do all that he needs to do to find this one lost sheep. How long will it take? He doesn't know. He'll pack his belongings. He'll gather his material. He'll get ready to make the journey. It could take days, going to the Brussels, to the thickets, to the the briars, searching and searching and searching, and, and this shepherd will do everything that it takes to find this one lost sheep. He'll search and he'll search and he'll search and he'll do whatever it takes. Uh, 99 are still good, but that one's still lost and he'll seek till he can find it. Why? Because that one sheep holds great value in the heart of the shepherd. Could I say that again? That one lost sheep holds great value in the heart of the shepherd. Uh, Why is this significant to us as individuals here today? Because the Bible says in Isaiah chapter 53, verse 6, all we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to our own way, but the Lord himself hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. Just as that shepherd seeks after the one sheep that's lost, so Jesus Christ left the glory of heaven. So Jesus Christ came for us. Did Christ leave us in the wilderness? Did Christ leave us by the way? He didn't. Jesus came, he, he searched and he searched and he searched and he knocked on our heart's door time and time again. Uh, the Bible says it this way, uh, he came to seek and to save that which was lost. Why? Because our soul mattered in the eyes of God. Uh, I'm sure I'm thankful that 2,000 years ago, he left the glory of heaven. Uh, he left being there to come to where we were and seek after our lost soul. You see, that's the glory of the cross. Uh, that's the glory of Christ. Uh, he not only seeks after those that are looking for him, Oh, but he seeks after those that have turned from him are by the way. Why? Because our soul matters to God, because our soul holds great value in his eyes. We hold great value in the heart of the shepherd. Uh, lastly here, as we look at this third point, uh, we see the, we've seen the company that Christ kept. We've seen the, the seeking of the shepherd, but now I want you to see the celebration of the found. Notice with me here, Luke chapter 15, verse number five, the Bible says, and when he layeth it on his shoulders... Rejoicing, and when he cometh home, he calleth together his friends and neighbours, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. The value of one, the value of each individual, has been seen in the way the shepherd seeks for the sheep. But what does he do when the, that sheep is found? How does he respond? How does he act? Does he take the sheep? Does he does he take it and does he does he mistreat it? Does he scold it? No. That shepherd takes that sheep, and as the Bible says in the book of Psalms, puts oil on it, carries it on its shoulders out of its place of destitution. And as he comes, he's rejoicing personally. Oh, that shepherd's so happy, that shepherd's so relieved that this one lost sheep has been found. But then as he comes to his neighbors, to his friends, he begins to call from afar. He says, hey, come with me, come with me, rejoice. Uh, Don't let me rejoice alone. Uh, This one lost sheep is now found. Oh, don't let me rejoice alone. This is a great thing. And here's where Jesus Christ turns it all around. Let me ask you a question. Who is he speaking to who, to, him, who, to here? Uh, who was listening in on this conversation? It's the scribes, right? It's the Pharisees. And here's what he's saying. Notice what the, what the Bible says here in verse number seven. I say unto you that likewise, joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that repenteth more than over ninety and nine just persons which need no repentance. What is Christ saying? When a person gets it, when a person receives truth, when somebody gets saved, there's rejoicing in all of heaven. Pharisees, scribes, something's wrong with this picture. You're supposed to be the religious ones, the ones who are closest to God. And while all of these individuals, the sinners, the publicans are coming to me and receiving truth. While, while, while heaven's rejoicing at that, here you are, you're murmuring, you're complaining, you're disgruntled at it. You see what he's doing here? He's bringing it around and saying, hey, you've missed heaven's joy. At some point, your joy has become disconnected from heaven's joy. Could I say out of all the things in this world that ought to make us excite us, they ought to get us going it should be the lost soul coming to Christ. One person getting saved, receiving truth. Oh, I, I thought often about being in heaven one day, and, and I look forward to this day when I'm in glory and, and imagining and just seeing for myself the celebration when one person gets it, when one person trusts Christ. Oh, we're around ministry often. We, we know the language of salvation. We've been around church all our lives, and sometimes I think it's really easy to lose the significance of one lost person getting it. Getting saved, trusting Christ. Oh, but there's coming a day when we're gonna see it for ourselves, And we're gonna be in glory and somebody's gonna trust Jesus Christ. And and boy, that's gonna be a greater celebration than anything else that's ever taken place on this earth or that we have seen. Why, why, why is there such celebration? Because every soul holds such value in the eyes of God. And when he created them, his heart is that every individual would know him. Oh, that's the joy of heaven. Can I ask you today? Is there anything that joys your heart more than that? Is there anything that excites you more than that? Oh, may our joy not be disconnected from heaven's joy. The value of one. We've seen it in who Christ spent time with. We've seen it in the seeking of the shepherd but also the, the celebration of the found. How does this truth of the value of one apply to our lives as individuals? A couple applications and then we'll be finished. Number one, we should seek to see people with the same value that God places on them. Can I ask you, what gives a person value? Is an individual's value based upon how much money they make? Is an individual's value based in their personality, the charisma they carry, their position of influence in this world? No A person's value is based on this fact they were created in the image of God and are loved by them. Now when we get a hold of this truth of the value of one, it'll change the way we treat people. It'll change the way we live. The common thought of our society today is, is not in alignment with biblical thoughts. Our society says to value people, to value people, to see people as being worth something based on what? Shallow factors. But when we are close to the heart of God, we'll see their value is not based upon who they are, it's not based upon where they've been, but it's based on what God says about them. Secondly, we can apply this in this way. This has been so helpful to me as someone who desires to live my life in ministry. We should view ministry success differently when we understand the value of one soul. Can I ask you, what makes a ministry successful? What makes a ministry successful in that they have reached the peak? May I say a ministry is not successful because they reach hundreds or reach thousands, but a ministry is successful. A church is successful. We are successful because we reach the one, one soul at a time. God's not looking for us to reach the thousands, but God's looking for us to reach each individual day by day. I know oftentimes in my experience, my little experience serving so far in ministry, uh, it can get discouraging. Maybe you teach a Sunday school class and you feel like you don't have a lot of kids to minister to. Could I encourage you? Don't focus on what you don't have. Focus on those who do have to minister to. Maybe you're a teacher and you feel like, oh, I'm not making much of a difference. Oh, hey, focus on the individuals. Focus on the one. Know what God can do in the heart of one. Uh, Maybe you go day by day and maybe you try to be a good soul winner. Maybe you try to pass out tracts. Maybe you try to, to share this message of hope. Could I tell you, hey, don't focus on who doesn't get it, but focus on, hey, I have another opportunity to present the word of life to one more person. Why? Because every soul is so precious in the eyes of God. They hold such great value. Uh, We desire to reach the multitudes, but how are we going to reach the multitudes? One soul at a time. Uh, May I say uh, that oftentimes we may reach someone and then we have no idea how God is going to use that one that we reach to reach another. Focus on the one, focus on the one. I read a story a while back that's been such an encouragement uh, to me. Uh, Many of you may not know the name Edward Kimball, but in 1854, there was a man named Edward Kimball who was a Sunday school teacher. He had a young man in his class, this young man was an individual who, who was from a rougher house. He was rougher house, didn't carry his Bible to church, a little more on the introverted side. And so Edward Kimball had developed a burden for this young man in his heart. Uh, after praying quite a while for it, he, he decided to go to Edward Kimball's, uh, excuse me, to, to this young man's place of employment. Uh, he was working as like a 17-year-old boy at a shoe shop. Uh, and so as he went to, to the shoe shop, he shared the gospel with this young man, and, and that young man got gloriously saved. He focused on the one. That young man's name was actually D.L. Moody. D.L. Moody went on to become one of the greatest evangelists in his time, reaching many with the gospel. He influenced a man by the name of F.B. Meyer, who became a London pastor and and went on to reach many. He went preaching. Uh, God used F.B. Meyer to reach a man by the name of Wilbur Chapman. Wilbur Chapman was discipled, he was led in the ways of God, he was taught the Word of God. And Wilbur Chapman became a preacher and and influenced a man you may know by the name of Billy Sunday. Billy Sunday became a fiery preacher, revivalist in our country, preaching everywhere he went, make a difference for the cause of Christ. Billy Sunday was responsible for the salvation of a man by the name of Mordecai Ham. Mordecai Ham went about preaching the gospel, seeking to influence teenagers, young adults. One night, a young man by the name of Billy Graham walked in one of his meetings, his camp meetings. Billy Graham Walked an mile and trusted Jesus Christ. Now, many of us don't know the name of Mordecai, excuse me, of Edward Kimball. Initially, but we do know that God used him to reach one. Then those ones reached many others as well. We have no idea every single day as we go about the individuals we're reaching, how God will use them to reach others. Lastly, here we should rejoice daily in the love of God and saving our souls. And when we understand and see the value that God places on us, even though we're so unworthy, we oftentimes look at people and say, what do you bring to the table? But God looks at it and says, hey, it's not what you bring to the table, it's what I brought to the table. And when we get a grip on that, all the songs in church, we sing about salvation, they mean something to us, don't they? We read about the Bible, we read about the cross, it's not something we're just going over once again, We're thanking God. God, thank you for saving my lost soul. Thank you for seeing value in me. Nobody else in this world may value us, but I am sure and thankful that God sees value in us as individuals. This evening, may I say the hope of our country, the hope of America, is not in another great politician. The hope of America is not in the financial markets going up again, doing something great. But the hope of our country The hope of America is in a person by the name of Jesus Christ. And how are we gonna influence this world? How are we gonna change the world? Uh, How are we gonna change North Carolina and the surrounding areas? One soul at a time with that message. Let's determine by God's grace, 2023, to ask God to use us to reach the next one. Thank you for listening. We pray that God has used his word to speak to you today. If you'd like to learn more about Tabernacle,